Hey folks, let's spend some time with friends up north. Pat Kreitlow of Up North News is on Lake Wissota. Sarah Yacoub of the Minocqua Brewing Company Super Pack is on the Mississippi River. And up on Lake Minocqua is Kirk Bangstead of the Minocqua Brewing Company. Wherever you are, welcome. You're up north. Hello, everyone. I'm Kirk Bangstead. Welcome to the Up North Podcast. I'm from the Minocqua Brewing Company. I'm Sarah Yacoub of the Minocqua Brewing Company Super Pack. And I'm Pat Kreitlow, founder of Up North News, WI.com. We are live on Wednesday evenings on the radio, and then you can listen back to it as a podcast over the weekend. Uh, Sarah is still sitting in a chair borrowed from a Bond supervillain based on my video feed. How goes the uh, knee recovery over there? It's going, and I'm thinking the chair is just going to be sort of a wisp mama bear thing now, because I'm kind of, it's growing on me. It's kind of got that mama bear nest, you know, look it to does. it. Exactly. It yep. Cocoon for protecting the little ones while they're metamorphosizing. It's it's a place where where a mom can go to escape. And I I got a feeling my daughter felt the same way. My younger daughter's uh, birthday is today. She'd she'd made a lovely chocolate cake out in Michigan where she lives now. Gave a slice of it to her two-year-old son. Turned around for just a moment and down crashing down came the glass cake stand. You know, oh. with the little glass dome that goes over the cake. And I guess he wanted more cake. But um, so happy birthday, Chelsea. You, you've you got a two-year-old for your birthday present. <laughs> so do enjoy it. Wait, so she lost the cake and the glass, like shattered yes. into a million pieces? Yep, yep. Got a, got a Snapchat video of, of her, you know, pointing the camera at Teddy going, what did you do? And he's oh. just kind of looking down at the floor at the cake and the broken glass and I don't think he'll be trying to pilfer another piece anytime soon, but oh well, well. happy, happy birthday, dear. Hey, I was in uh, Washington, D.C. last weekend, and I can attest that Green Bay Packer bars are indeed everywhere. I had my choice of several, but ended up at Mackey's in Alexandria, a lot of friendly folks there, and it's just, it's always great to find Wisconsinites beyond our borders. I remember once uh, being on a mission trip through our church uh, uh, to, the, we were helping to build Homes is a, a, not a good way of putting it. They were more like shacks. But uh, going through a retirement community in South Texas, a lot of Packer flags that were flying there, some bears, some Vikings as well. You know, but e either one of you ever see signs of Wisconsin, uh, friendly faces in unusual places? Well, Pat, I, when I was living in Manhattan, I went to the Kettle of Fish uh, quite a bit, which is some guy, I think, from Wauwatosa or Waukesha, moved to New York a long, long, long time ago. And so that's the Packer bar in uh, downtown Manhattan. And I remember going to one on the West side uh, as well during a tr trip to New York. Cause again, there's, there's multiple, you can search for them on your <laughs> Google machine and, and they're everywhere. And uh, Sarah, you ever find some friendly faces outside the borders? You know, my husband and I travel quite a bit and it's always this debate. So he's a university of Minnesota professor and so it's, what do we claim? Cause we're right on the border and he's always wearing his university of Minnesota gophers hat. And so we go back and forth and it's this funny thing when we're talking to cab drivers of where are we from? <laughs> yeah. You Hudson people are all like well, bipolar in, when it comes you're to in that Packer no man's fan. land. Right. And, and I know from all those years anchoring the news on, on channel 13 in Eau Claire that you've got more than you know more vikings fans than we need you know but they're there as as folks you know have have migrated east and i remember on highway 29 before they expanded it somewhere in the elk mound area there was just this little ramshackle bar 
And I believe it was called the, was it called the neutral zone or was it called something else? And it was half purple and half green, you know, and and it was, it was always good for a news story. It was always good to, to, uh, you know, just show off what makes us uh, very uniquely Wisconsin. Hey, look, we're going to take our first break. When we come back, a few more things that are uniquely Wisconsin. There's Culver's Butterburgers, Cheese Curds, and Up North News. And we're going to talk to reporter J.T. Seskowski about his trek to test the curd burger and other stories about his recent road trip up north. This is the similarly named but independently run radio circus known as the Up North Podcast. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Up North Podcast. I'm Sarah Yacoub. And I'm Kirk Bankstead. And I'm Pat Kreitlow. Um, and happy to be back. And uh, Kirk, you've got your progressive beer beverage, I, I assume. We, we haven't done a good Monaco Brewing Company commercial for a while here, but oh, there yeah. it is. And I've got my, it's in my Liney's Oktoberfest glass, but it's actually the Canoe Paddle Kolsch. And, we're, dr- uh, we're both drinking Kolsch's today. Are you I, you're I, quite well, low in banks that I'm Norwegian, but you're German. So we got the German stuff style got, going on today. We got the beverages covered one way or another, and we are happy to be back and happy to thank our wonderful hosts here at uh, News Talk 92.7 in Madison, our broadcast home every Wednesday evening at seven. You can use the Devil Radio app to catch our show or any of the fine programs here on the home of Devil's Advocates Radio. As a podcast, you can catch us weekends on our website, upnorthpodcast.com and all of the usual places where you subscribe and listen to us. As for my day job, I would invite you to discover Wisconsin's top stories and headlines over at upnorthnewswi.com or search your favorite social media feeds for upnorthnewswi. Don't forget the WI. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter as well. And it looks like our guest from Up North News has arrived, and he's getting ready to put on that winter layer with uh, some butter burgers <laughs> with a giant cheese curd on it. So you will be prepared for that cold weather. There you go. Reporter JT Saskowski joined uh, his colleague, Christina Leifering, along with thousands of other equally curious diners to taste what was an April Fool's gag come to life. JT, how are you doing? And have you come out of the cheese coma yet? I have, Pat, and, I, and I'm doing good. Um, I... I have to say that there it wasn't actually too much of a coma. I felt uh, as a Wisconsinite invigorated having eaten the <laughs> having eaten the curd. It's like it's like you were just uh, you're feeding your soul, huh? Yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. And and I had let the anticipation build because Christina and I had agreed to uh, meet at McDonald's uh, or McDonald's, excuse me, uh, oh. uh, Culver's here in uh, Culver's uh, here in Madison, where where I'm at over on the east side, but. Uh, I have most of the Culver's in my area memorized. So when she said East Side Culver's, my brain immediately jumped to one. I went over there and Christina had gone to the one on Cottage Grove Road, which in my mind is co- is the Cottage Grove Road Culver's is completely separate, a very different experience. Of course, of course. Yeah, and so we, we spent some time, there was a lineup of cars and people out the door around the corner. And we spent some time just texting back and forth before I finally realized I was at the wrong location and had to hightail it over there. So there, I had that time to build that investigation <laughs> and, and work my own energy up before uh, before I actually got to sample the thing. And, and Christina actually uh, videoed uh, herself uh, walking out to her car and was kind of singing a little tune of anticipation about the burger as well, uh, which, you know, a lot, of, a lot of folks don't sing on their way to Culver's, but Christina was ready for it. She's a consummate performer and professional. 
And so what, uh, what, what was your, what was your verdict? Uh, we want people to watch the report uh, over on Up North News, but uh, you can go ahead and do a spoiler alert on that part. Yeah, yeah, spoilers. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I I was I I I mean, from the moment that I bit into it, almost I was just like gushing with praise for it. Um, <laughs> or was it gushing with like squeaky stuff all over your face? Is that oh, what actually, it was? And, 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 no, but uh, Christina's Christina's burger was that was something we were sure to get on camera. Was all of the cheese oozing out of her? She couldn't help but, but squeeze it and give that uh, you know give give that 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 visual of what of what the curd burger was it it really lended itself to video in the way that it you know it had a life of its own the way it oozed and blobbed around so jt i know we could talk about curder burgers all night long but um are you, just a quick question you're you're are you from up north wisconsin at all or are you kind of you grew my up family in is. My, my dad's side of the family um is from the land of lakes area so not too oh. far from Manaqua kirk um, and I, I spent all my summers up there uh, with my grandparents on uh, at, at their uh, longtime home on on Big Lake in Vilas County. Oh, nice. So, so yeah, so lot, lot, yeah. So I do have northern northern Wisconsin roots, but eventually my dad moved south and met a good Wisconsin farm girl, settled down and had me. Uh, that's a good thing to do. <laughs> trust me. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Pat's got Pat's got his own roots are settling with a uh, good Wisconsin farm women, right? Or just one, I guess a girl, just one for now. Yeah. Just one for now. <laughs> so JT quick question. You did more than just do a Curter burger. You went up North, you got some stories, uh, you know, our audience is in Madison right now, but they're all up North listeners uh, on the podcast. They, they, they love to hear what you discovered and what you enjoyed. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, my first, uh, my first big assignment uh, in my time with Up North News was uh, heading up to the Ashland Bayfield area where I gathered a whole bunch of different stories. Um, one on uh, the uh, algae blooms on Lake Superior, the one that is um, just coming out uh, today and tomorrow that we're rolling out some of my reporting on was um, uh, some work that was done on a super fun site in Ashland itself to make uh, some of the lakefront there suitable, not just for human use, but also for as a, as a potential uh, fishery and, and spawning area for, for fish and, and, and really cleaning up a lot of that city's uh, industrial past and moving it into its more, you know, uh, outdoorsy and vacation land future. Um, but I was up there for, uh, for a whole host of things. I got to experience Bayfield's Apple Festival as, as well as plenty of stops on the way up there. I made sure to hit the top of, of Rib Mountain and, and have uh, dinner in Manitosh waters at Little Bohemia Lodge and check out John Dillinger's uh, bullet holes there. So it was uh, quite the experience. It was, um, it was I, I mean, just it was four days of go, 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 nonstop reporting work. And I, I, from that, I've been able to unpack for the last month, a lot of the different uh, stories and stuff that I got while I was, while I was up in that area. So, so yeah, um, with those algae blooms, I was reading that there's some connection to climate change. Explain correct. that. Yeah, so uh, the first time that uh, algal blooms ever happened on Lake Superior that we know of that have been um, that have been confirmed was in 2012. Very recent. Um, algal blooms are very tough to to pin down exactly when they're happening. 
people can report them, but report them falsely to DNR. DNR has to go out there and try to verify that they're happening. And in those just few hours that it happens, the wind can shift direction and these delicate algae blooms can disperse and then you won't have anything to see. But so far as we're aware, they just started happening in 2012. And they really seem to be tied um, to two things. Some of the research that, I, what I learned about is that some of the research is still ongoing, but some of the early conclusions that, uh, that researchers in the area, especially with the University of Minnesota Duluth, um, have uh, some of the conclusions that it seems like they're about to draw is that um, the lake water of uh, Lake Superior is the fastest warming of the Great Lakes. Um, so that is a climate change issue. And that means that um, algal blooms can happen more often. The conditions are right for them more often. And also that uh, they tend to follow large storm events. And obviously with climate change, we tend to get a lot more severe weather. And so following a severe storm, there'll be a lot of runoff. All of the chemicals that come in with that runoff end up in the lake and it can help feed the algae blooms. And, and, a, and a lot of times, I think people lose why algae blooms are important or, or, or you know, what, what the problem is with them. Um, but it's because they can produce toxins as they begin to break down and die off. And it's a real concern when it comes to animals and children because animals and children in the water don't necessarily know they can't swallow it and imbibe it. And you can get some, they can do some pretty gnarly things to your internal organs and also a lot of skin irritation and that and, and, and things along those lines. They also tend to be indicative of unhealthy ecosystem. So it's something that is concerning to, to researchers and experts. And it's something that I wanted to at least make sure we were keeping an eye on, not only because one of my beats is water quality, but also because it could be a sign of, of you know, of, of things to come for the Lake Superior region. So TJ, I just wanted to follow up, you know, there, you had a lot of fun stuff too, and I, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but um, that weirded me out because I thought Lake Superior was the coldest lake, like among the Great Lakes. It just seemed like that was always this the biggest one. It, you know, every time I go up to Bayfield, it's like there's a gale of wind. Uh, it just seems cold. Uh, that's scary to me that Lake Superior is warming up faster than the other lakes. Why is that? It's so north. It's like the most north lake, it seems like to me. Right. So, I mean, it, a lot of it probably does stem from the fact that it is so cold. It has a lot, it, you know, it can, it can ah, warm a lot, it can warm okay. a lot faster, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's, it, you know, that we got to be careful when we talk about the issue of climate change, not to couch it from that, you know, that perspective of, I just went outside and made a snowball, therefore climate change is not happening. Right. right? You know, Lake Superior may feel cold, but if on average it is warmer, that means on average things like cyanobacteria blooms, can happen more often that the conditions over us over a period of time and when we're talking about climate change we're talking over periods of decades and centuries that that these conditions will begin to happen happen more often well there you go jt using science and research and facts again i i think we know you know the track record of that lately but we we do appreciate you looking for it and and then going to have some fun as well so did you really go to i don't know that it's one of the smallest record stores ever but uh it looked rather tiny. I did, yes. I stopped in at the Vinyl Vault in Washburn, um, which is uh, uh, run by this guy by the name of Steve Cotherman, who uh, worked out at Madeline Island for um, over a decade, I'm told, and had all kinds of fun stories about his time out there. But after he semi-retired, he ended up uh, 
going to work for the Washburn Cultural Center, which is a gem in and of itself. But then inside this gem is another smaller gem. It used to be an old bank building and they had an old bank vault in there and he wanted to turn it into something cool. So he brought in his record collection and started selling records out of this vault. And it very quickly took on a name for itself and people in the area learned it was there and it sort of became this local destination, this local oddity, this tourist uh, destination. And so I got the chance to talk to him and to profile that. And he is a very talkative guy. And I think the next time that I go up to the Bayfield County area, I'm not going to plan anything. And instead, I'm just going to call Steve and ask him what I should do up there because he had the inside line on every <laughs> single person, every single story, and every single experience that you should have. So I encourage anybody who's going up to the Bayfield area to stop in Washburn and stop and talk to Steve Cotherman at um, the Washburn Cultural Center, because that was just an experience. And also stand inside that tiny, tiny, tiny record store. It can't be more than 20 square feet. Would you, did you, did you buy anything? Or if you didn't, what was the most interesting record you saw? So I wanted to buy stuff. I didn't have the chance to look around because Steve talked my ear off so much. I had made a plan to be there and talk to him for maybe 30 minutes. But after an hour had gone by, I was looking at my watch and I was running out of sunlight and I had to get more shots yet before the day ended. So I had to hightail it out of there. And so it wasn't until after the fact, when I actually got to sit down and review my footage and cut our video together, that I realized some of the uh, fun stuff that he had in there. And it was really just about the, the mass selection that he had, that he had some of these old Aretha Franklin um, records up on his wall that I would have definitely come away with given the chance, but he didn't give me the chance. He talked himself <laughs> out of a customer. <laughs> so the, I, I wish I'd have show, been able to show, uh, again, you can see this over at upnorthnewswi.com, but I, I wanted to show the, uh, the footage to Kirk because I'm pretty sure given Kirk's advanced age that he probably has every record that probably was in the vinyl vault. What do you think, bud? Oh my God, Pat, come on. You don't sell me. I, by the way, my, my, like my musical knowledge in the seventies and eighties is, is terrible, but my knowledge in the twenties and 1890s is pretty good. Cause I had listened to classical music. Um, so, but I, I love this story, JT, because this is, that's just what up North is all about. Like there's always another bar in all in another random road while you're kind of driving you're either you know you're, you're just like finding lakes you're finding bars you're finding people who have been up there forever who are telling you like the secret cool spots to go and uh that's that's what i what i loved about visiting as a tourist and then what i loved about living there is that i i was it was endless discovery when i was up there Absolutely. I don't want to get too much into the bar scene up there, considering my boss's boss is on this uh, radio show here. But uh, yes, I did. I did. Make some you mean the one drinking a beer? Uh, sure, go right ahead. Some of the some of the nightlife. <laughs> I, but that is that is the you know that is the magic is is the hole in the wall places, the small places that you don't find nearly in as many places that either have amazing atmosphere or great burgers and, and food whether it's you know the amber inn in in eau claire still my favorite burger or there used to be a place on uh, 64 uh, outside of uh, cornell um handies uh where the food was just magical you had no how could a place surrounded by nothing but you know woods and fields have such amazing food but it, it's just part of it is is i'm sure the atmosphere but part of it too is just they They've got talents that they've been honing for years and years. Was there any place that you wanted to get to that you didn't? Or in other words, when, when that, when that boss's boss lets you get back on the road again, is there a place you, you want to make sure to stop into next? 
Um, well, if you're talking specifically up north and in the in or the any, any region or no, any attraction, man, uh, of things that I did not get to see. You're putting me on the spot here, Pat. And normally you only do that during our pitch meetings, but I know um, it feels like it's 8 30 in the morning again here, but that's, that's okay. <laughs> it really well, well, let me ask you this, JT. Did you get to do any agate hunting? Because Lake Superior has the best rocks I've ever seen and all sorts of fun agates to be found. I, I I did not, unfortunately, sir. So Pat, that'll be my answer. You you send me up there again, and I will do a full video on agate hunting along Lake Superior. How does that sound for it gross is, content? For it you? is a deal. JT Seskowski, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, can't wait to do it again. Take care. Thank you. All right. When we come back, an update on the proposed pipeline that has stirred up new fears of contamination for our pristine waters up north. We'll be right back. I'm going to tell you about my Oh, there we go. We're doing the classics, 1965 from the Standells, Dirty Water, back when the uh, the, the River Charles caught fire in Boston. Uh, kind of leads us into our segment about the uh, Enbridge Line 5 pipeline coming up in a moment. But first, welcome back to the cabin. This is the Up North podcast, heard live on Wednesday nights on the radio and on the weekends, wherever you find your new favorite Wisconsin podcast. And I got to say, Kirk, before we jump into things here, um, I, I missed asking folks to uh, send us emails uh, about a couple of different questions that we talked about early on, either your favorite Packer bar, uh, wherever uh, you have been, um, or, uh, you know, where, where, what other attractions up north you'd like to see us uh, cover in terms of future uh, road trips and news coverage. So the email address is info at upnorthpodcast.com. So you can do that here for the podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow, along with Sarah Yacoub and Kirk Bankstead. All right. So uh, we, we, as you could tell, our regular audience, uh, we, we get pretty hard and heavy uh, into uh, Wisconsin politics most every week. Last, uh, the last segment, we, we, we figured we'd lighten it up a little bit and talk about stuff we love about Northern Wisconsin as opposed to the stuff that's frustrating us. Unfortunately, we're coming back though to, uh, to what we're all about here at the Up North Podcast and that's uh, shining a light on things that aren't right about what's going on in Northern Wisconsin. So uh, something that is a huge issue up North that's uh, not as well kind of covered down in, uh, in the Southern part of Wisconsin is this line five uh, oil pipeline from Enbridge and Enbridge is a Canadian oil company. Um, they've had a fair amount of oil spills uh, over the course of the last 10 years. The biggest one being uh, in the Michigan Kalamazoo River in 2010. And um, and so, you know, their track record isn't that great. And most recently, uh, Governor Whitner, Whitmer in uh, in Michigan uh, like she restricted the easements that Enbridge uh, had to get their pipeline through Michigan, which was really important because right around the Mackinac Island area is some really fragile uh, environmental, uh, you know, you know, it's a very fragile, beautiful place. And so, you know, she kind of blocked Enbridge from going into Michigan. And then all of a sudden, the Bad River tribe in northern Wisconsin uh, took Enbridge to court and they don't want to let uh, Enbridge used 12 miles of their reservation territory for the uh, for uh, this line five pipeline. 
So, you know, while these issues are in court, um, Enbridge has decided they, they're going to they're going to try to reroute this big, huge pipe oil pipeline through the Shaquamagon Bay area, you know, near Ashland, uh, you know, et cetera. And so that is a that's caused a lot of a lot of people to be up in arms uh, because that's a beautiful, beautiful area of northern Wisconsin. So um, we have a wonderful guest tonight and uh, I'm not going to say what her name is, uh, her first name or last name. We're going to call her the grassroots ninja because that's what it says in her uh, in her uh, zoom zoom chat here, but um, we'll call you grassroots. So she's joined us she's an activist against the uh, line five uh, uh in in the Squamagon bay area and uh, we're really happy to have you here grassroots and can you just tell me the story of why you and your um you know you and the folks that are with you don't want line five going through Squamagon bay and that what you're doing right now to try to stop it Okay, so you use that word again, activist, and that, you know, that's why we've got to be ninja is because activists are, are, are trouble in the eyes of, of this Wisconsin legislature, but really we're just the people, and we're people that live on the shore of Lake Superior here, and I happen to be one who has, is grows right into the ground right into this water and this is the inherent home of the lake superior anishinaabe and bad river is part of my lineage as well and they weren't the only ones by the way another tribe in michigan bay mills also evicted Enbridge as well um and Enbridge turns around and sues both tribes so what well, you were talking about the kalamazoo spill and the Kalamazoo spill was part of our part of our education and that's what we're doing is we're trying to get our community engaged in what processes are going on and educate others because we're really all in this together and I believe in our community we're a really talented group of people we care about this area and nobody really lives here for the money the median income is not that high this is a beautiful wonderful place whether you're inherent to this place or not I like to think that most people live indigenous to this place. It's a very good place to live. But I'll say hello to Steve Kauterman, by the way. Um, I heard you talk <laughs> about him. So when that when we started talking about that Kalamazoo spill, we brought John Bolenbaugh to the area in 2017, and we held eight uh, community forums with um, John Bolenbaugh, who was a whistleblower for the um Kalamazoo spill and what an atrocity he was a foreman within um the hired by Enbridge for the cleanup of that spill and it, what they were actually doing were asking them to cover it up and so he became a whistleblower on that and it cost billions and billions of dollars to eventually clean up the cover up too um, there's another spill over in Grand Rapids, Minnesota that was in 1991 that still is affecting that ecosystem as well. And I also happen to have been in a Supreme Court hearing in the state of Wisconsin in which Enbridge does not have to carry insurance. So we're here we are on the shore of Lake Superior and we are assuming all the risks for this Canadian foreign 
pipeline company that's coming through our waters and acting like bullies and lying. Um, let me follow up. So I've read all, you know, as much as I could about this in a short amount of time, just to make sure that I didn't act like, you know, didn't sound dumb, but you, you've been living this for, for years, this pipe, these pipelines are not new, right? I mean, a lot of them were started in like the sixties or seventies. And so they're old, they've been, uh, propped up as the land has settled, especially land under like the underwater land as things have shifted. And that's why yeah everyone is worried about when when are these things gonna when are these things gonna rupture is that true that's true there's already been I, over 30 spills on this line already uh in its history and and there are these these pipelines are are expired they were made for a different kind of material a different kind of oil they called sweet oil this is not sweet oil coming through these pipelines that expired you know they were put in so many years ago they've been expired for a long time and so has their leases we also have the chromigan nicolay forest which is going to be part of these lines are coming through they have an expired list lease also over there and nothing's been permitted but uh, enbridge is going to bully where their way through there as well so yes we've got uh we've got these underwater and we have evicted them we've said your leases have expired we're not renewing these leases so these this crude oil is very different from these tar sands oil these tar sands oil are literally the this, the oil is within the sand and they have to add all of these other chemicals and put that into the pipe to even move it along that. So it is it is a, a gritty material that they're moving anyway. It's no longer sweet oil. So to give a little background on a little further background on this for Enbridge, uh, again, we mentioned uh, Canada-based, they're actually the largest transporter of gas and oil in North America with many pipelines. Their line five uh, travels through Wisconsin as it's carrying that oil from Western Canada to Eastern Canada, dipping down to its facilities in Superior and in Michigan along the way. Uh, but again, you know, as was just mentioned, about 33 uh, spills over its uh, over the past uh, few decades here. And so that effort to reroute line five is uh, what's currently uh, tied up in, in, in legal battles, but uh, is, is of concern no matter what happens because of the age of the existing infrastructure, much less the spotty record of what happens with the, with the new structure there, Sarah. Yeah, and I mean, okay, so playing devil's advocate here, Enbridge would just say, all right, we'll just rebuild some pipelines. Uh, and the people pushing this are saying, well, you know, there's some jobs involved. So uh, Grassroots Ninja, what do you say to the people who think, you know, let's just let them rebuild and no harm, no foul. How do we help people understand what's at stake here? Well, where there, where this reroute at is at is still within the Bad River watersheds. And Lake Superior is very unique, not, not just in the, of the Great Lakes, but to the world. This is Lake Superior. It, this, if this spills within those waterways, down south of here, it is still the, the Bad River watershed and it would be to Lake Superior within miles, within minutes it could be. You know, we talked about the, the uh, Michigan here a little bit. In the past week, the valve turners turned off near Vassar, Michigan. They turned off the Enbridge line 
down there and they called Enbridge, which they call an emergency response line. And that response should be taking place and they should be shutting down the line, even though they're manually shutting it down. They called Enbridge and asked them to do the same. It took Enbridge over an hour to get to the site where they were at and over an hour to respond to them even turning off the the uh, what they were doing for the safety of the line, which that is why a valve turner called Enbridge. So do you think that an hour is an acceptable response to a yeah, line I mean, just look at Look at what happened off the, the West Coast just a couple of weeks ago, where again, it took hours to get to get a valve, uh, you know, recognized to, to be shut off and how much damage was done by that. Quickly. So so what I'm hearing is, is, I mean, no matter, I mean, these guys have a bad record of, of not only lots of spills, but a bad record of, high, of, of cleaning up spills. They're not, Ameri not an American company. So it's hard for us to penalize them. Um, I, I've also heard they've, they're, they're using their treaty in 1977 or so about putting oil like pipeline to fight, fight to get their pipelines through here. So it's not, you know, Potentially, it's this company and not necessarily pipelines in general, but it's the history of them failing to do what is right, which is is uh, is is making everybody uh, get super worried, especially in Wisconsin where the watersheds are happening. Like if these guys had a crystal clear, pristine record, it may be a little bit different. Um, obviously, we're all hoping for alternative energy, you know, wind and 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 sun versus oil. But you know, until that happens, they're going to argue that we still need pipelines. But this but Kirk, company in uh, particular. Look at the, but Kirk, look at the parallel to what what they what else they wanted to try up there near near the Bad River home was to do metallic mining, and how for decades the rule on the book in Wisconsin was we're not saying you can't mine, you just have to show us that the method that you want to use has been used for ten years someplace without causing contamination. That doesn't seem to be like a very, you know, a high bar to reach if you want to protect the waters up here. And yet, rather than do that, uh, you know, ever since the, the Scott Walker era began, has been this assault to change the law to make it easier to do metallic mining. And, and, and so, Grassroots, you, you know that there are a lot of elected officials in Wisconsin who, for whatever reason, are not on your side. And, and what, what does that mean to you to have people representing your area uh, with that kind of position about the environment? Well, you know, around here, they really have no social license to operate here. There are municipalities of Ashland, LaPointe on the island and Bayfield and, and other tribes that have come out on the record in solidarity with Bad River's move on evicting Enbridge. These, this is, uh, we have our we do have a local legislator who did um side with the anti-protest laws the felony protest bill and she co-sponsored that so that's a real concern from us what what's going to be next are is she going to flip on waters too um we're talking about ultimately the waters here and water is life this is not just an inherent view this is a truth and a fact that we fight for. What goes on downstate there is 
so many people will say, what will the tribes do? What will the tribes do? And the tribes do. We also talked about Governor Whitmer and, and uh, Michigan going to this 1977 treaty. Well, what about the 1936 treaty? The, the, I mean, the, the 1836, 1842, the 1854 treaties. If we're gonna talk about treaties, what about the inherent <laughs> treaties? One which was upheld here in the state of Wisconsin, the 1854 treaty is one of the strongest environmental treaties in the country. It was held up by the uh, Voigt decision in 1988. And what it basically come down to is that the indigenous never lost the right to be sustained by these lands. And right. there is also beyond those promises within those treaties, we have the Wisconsin Constitution here as well. Right. The Wisconsin Constitution sees the navigable waterways as belonging to the people and the responsibility to protect them shall be unabridged and it is up to our legislators to uphold that for all of us. They so sure should. I think that they need to look back a little bit further than that 77 treaty and go back to what this is really about. Water is life. That's period. right. Um, well, Grassroots Ninja, we appreciate your time uh, and, and filling us all in on this very key issue. We know there's a lot of legal wrangling that's going to go on, but also a lot of uh, activity that folks can support if they wish. And so again, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. And we, we should note Miigwech. that while we don't owe equal time to cover issues of concern like this, uh, we will provide an opportunity if someone from Enbridge wants to take our questions. Uh, but with that, we're going to take our final break, switch some gears, get set to wrap up the show right after this. You're up north. All right, welcome back to the Up North podcast. I'm Pat Kreitlow along with Sarah Yakub and Kirk Bankstead. Uh, and it's time for our Mama Bear segment, which um, interestingly enough, we, we, we thought we would kind of go with a, a Mean Girls theme here uh, because if there's one thing you want to teach your daughters as a Mama Bear is, is not to be one of those Mean Girls, but apparently it's not just our daughters that need to be taught that. It's some of our state legislators, Sarah. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, as someone who related to the Katie Heron uh, character in that movie, I'm happy to talk being girls and as a mother of boys and bonus mom to a couple girls, this is certainly an issue. But yeah, we don't want our legislators setting that kind of an example. And so for those of you at home who have not heard, we had a couple staffers of Republican legislators that were caught on a hot mic be, belittling and just being bullies to a female assembly member and her staff. And yeah, it's, it's something we noted that you can find the article at, at Up North News. And we, we had just covered a couple of days earlier, uh, you know, some of these uh, same comments about what the working conditions are like at the Capitol. And then, then you get this hot mic moment where, again, like, like a bunch of high school girls, they were they were trashing these these two amazing women who are are, are are leaders in their own right. But apparently, because State Representative Francesca Hong and her Chief of Staff Nada Almakashvi, uh, you know, posed some kind of a, a threat, uh, they felt the need these these staffers and another staffer turned lobbyist to act in a way, Sarah, that you you'd never let your kids get away with. 
Oh, absolutely not. My, my boys and I would have a talk, but it, you know, it touches on some interesting things. Number one, the tolerance within the Republican Party for beating up on women. Uh, and number two, this contrast between who the politicians pretend to be in the district and then the culture that they enable and cultivate at Madison. And these staffers and this former staffer turned lobbyist are a reflection on their representatives. And you know that kind of thing is not the first time that they've talked like this. You know they're not the only ones and they get away with it because they're in a office where that kind of thing is cool and it's acceptable and they don't feel threatened or their jobs are threatened to talk like that. And so, you know, this idea that we represent public or we elect public servants uh, to serve our community, to represent us, uh, and they paint themselves as one way come election time and who they are once elected, I think is a conversation worth having. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just another reflection of, you know, if you know your job is safe, if you know you're, there's no way that anybody's going to beat you in an election because your district has been gerrymandered to the point where you can't get beat, then you, 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 know, you, you don't care if all of a sudden you know, potentially you get caught in a hot mic saying something terrible. Um, you know, or, or, your, or your concern for being professional starts to decrease because you don't have to listen to a democratic person in the minority because you know you've got power for a decade and you know that you don't have to actually be nice to them because you don't need them to actually help create laws and help do and help, you know, get kind of negotiate stuff for the best that for the betterment of Wisconsin. And so well, that's I think that's one of the issues, too, you know. Well, and Kirk, um, we've got a representative down in the 30th who told a bunch of college students, uh, essentially, when we women say no, we really mean yes. And, you know, what kind of message is that for young boys, especially in college? Um, you know, and he had a little bit of blowback, but it wasn't enough to get him out of office. And we're like, what are we doing here? What are we teaching our kids? Right. And the complacency is is only uh, going to continue if, if, in fact, the new maps that Republican legislators uh, announced uh, the past couple of days here were to actually to come to fruition because it would lock in a gerrymandered that uh, a rigged set of maps from 2011, which you got to love the. It, it was just rich that these folks who made these massive changes to the maps 10 years ago now said it is their stated position that there should be as little disruption to the maps as possible going forward. You know, now that, you know, power is on our side and with any luck, you know, courts uh, will will see otherwise. So we will continue to follow that story. And much more. Uh, my great thanks to Sarah and to Kirk uh, for joining us here in the cabin up north. I'm Pat Kreitlow. We'll see you next week. Washington.